Welcome to the Beauty Talk Podcast, where we feature how the best medical practitioners help their patients to look better, younger, and healthier. Now, enjoy the show, and here's your host. Daniel Gao here. I'm the host of Beauty Talk. We feature the top medical practitioners in health and beauty, both inside and out. I have Dr. Mickey Karam, who is an internationally renowned urogynecologist and pelvic surgeon. He is currently the director of urogynecology and reconstructive surgery at the Christ Hospital and is clinical professor of uh, obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Cincinnati School of Medicine. He also has a private practice in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, California. He is the past editor-in-chief of the International Urogynecology Journal and the consumer publication Women's Health Today and is past president of the American Urogynecology Society. Not only has he published numerous scientific articles and book chapters, but Dr. Karam has also directed a number of postgraduate teaching courses throughout the world. Dr. Karam has been designated by Good Housekeeping Magazine as one of the best doctors in America for women. So Dr. Karam, welcome and glad to have you here. Daniel, it's nice to be here. Thank you. So let's dive into it. How did you first get interested in medicine? How did you know it was something that you wanted to do? Well, I, I it was probably most instilled in me um, by my father. He, he was a first-generation American, immigrated here, and really just pushed on my brother and myself to pursue professional-type careers where we could sort of uh, be in control of our destiny, if you will. And that kind of led me towards towards medicine. Got it. Now, when we talk specifically about urogynecology, um, being a pelvic surgeon, how did you decide that that was the one discipline that you wanted to go into? So I, I obviously did my original regular training in obstetrics and gynecology and um, decided that I really enjoyed the surgical side of things. And when I was doing my training, this specialty of urogynecology was somewhat in its infancy, if you will. Um, and what we'll talk about in this interview are uh, female pelvic floor disorders, mm -hmm. which are extremely common in women. And uh, this was very attractive to me. It involved lots of surgery as well as quality of life issues that were, I think, you know, pretty, um, you, you get a lot of a lot of gratification over helping patients in that setting where you can improve their quality of life. And so I was attracted to it. It was very early on um, in, in the development of the subspecialty. And I think I was fortunate enough to 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 get into it at that time. Got it. Now, let's dive a little bit more into what it is you do. So what situation would it be that a patient would come and want to see you? What what? Would they be suffering from? Were they trying to get fixed? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I like to call what I do um, is, is I manage women's pelvic floor disorders. And I would categorize that into five separate therapeutic areas. The first is, is issues with a female bladder. Most notably, women are at have a high propensity to develop what's called urinary incontinence, which is basically involuntary leakage of urine. Mm. Um, and we don't have a clear understanding of why this occurs. It's multifactorial. But suffice it to say that millions and millions of women suffer from this problem. 
And it's usually either a problem with coughing, straining, exercising, and leakage of urine, or a problem with gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. I get the urge to go and I don't make it to the toilet in time. And again, we're talking about somewhere around 20 to 30% of the women's, of the whole female population can have a problem with incontinence. We spend wow. close to $4 billion a year on adult diapers, which is mostly to protect women from, from this problem. And wow. really that's just putting a bandaid on it. We now have a variety of therapies, some surgical, some non-surgical to really help women with this problem. But it's, as I like to say, an in the closet problem. Women don't talk about it a lot. So consumers aren't even aware. Most women think that it's a normal part of aging and it's not. So that's the first category. The second category is problems with pelvic organ support. And again, this is something that women don't talk about. If you if you're a female and live to be 80 years old in the United States, you have about a 15% chance of having a surgery because the tissues that support either the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum basically give way. And the tissues fall down into the vagina and even out of the vagina. Sometimes the tissues are completely outside of the body where you literally have a softball that a woman is sitting on. Again, hard to believe, but extremely common. Wow. So this is where we do most of our reconstructive surgery to resupport things. The third category is a variety of various pain syndromes that women can experience either bladder pain, either pain in the vagina during intercourse, rectal pain, a variety of things that are related to this, to this area. The fourth is problems with the bowel, defecation disorders, very distressing. Mm-hmm. About 10 or 11% of the women that leak urine will have a problem leaking stool. Mm-hmm. You can just imagine how distressing that would be where mm-hmm. a woman is soiling on herself, mm-hmm. um, as well as problems with evacuation of stool. And there's a variety of different problems that we deal with in that regards. Mm-hmm. And then last, but certainly not least, is female sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Patients having pain with intercourse, patients having difficulty with orgasm, patients having issues that, that they don't, the, the vagina becomes insensitive or stretched out, things like that. So that's a very vague, broad classification of what I deal with. Got it. Now, you've been in, in this specialty for some time. So could you talk about how the treatments have changed over the time that you've been uh, specializing this? I'm sure that as time has gone on, the treatments have changed tremendously. Uh, and yeah, our- it's, I mean, if I look at the way we treat things now compared to when I was practicing in the late nineties or early two thousands, we've come a, come a long way. Unfortunately, the information has really lagged behind in consumers understanding this. There's still a lot of misperceptions about things. And the majority of women that have these problems are still suffering in silence. Mm. They're not coming forward. They're living with the problem. And again, because it's it's a quality of life issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we were to look at bladder control issues, for example, we've got now minimally invasive surgeries that take 15 minutes, have fantastic outcomes for women that leak with coughing and straining. Mm. We have very sophisticated ways to treat urgency and overactive bladder. There are a variety of new hormone therapies that we utilize on a regular basis to help women. There's energy sources, lasers and radiofrequency devices that we can use in an office setting 
that are available for you know women with certain issues. So we've we've come a long way, but still there's still you know with all of this the amount of adult diapers being sold is not going down it's going up yeah so um i heard a statistic the other day that by 2025 there'll actually be more adult diapers sold than baby diapers that's how huh. big of a problem the this leakage incontinence is with women wow that's incredible i can't believe these numbers you're telling me it's just you wouldn't think the numbers would be that high you think it'd be a really low number but it's incredible yeah uh, like it's i said most people are really in the dark about this. Now, are you seeing that as as time goes on, kind of more recently, that the rate of treatments is accelerating, or do you just feel like it's kind of going increasing at a at a regular clip over the last? No, there, there's there's no question now that lots more women are coming forward. The field of urogynecology is is much more appreciated and by lay people and consumers. So I think certainly in certain other parts of the world, women are still sort of uh, in the closet on this much more so, but uh, no, we, we're, we're making progress. Mm -hmm. Now, Dr. Kram, if, could you talk a little bit about kind of how you approach educating your patients about uh, the treatments, what they're going through, because kind of, as you mentioned, it's almost like a in the closet thing. They don't want to tell anyone else about it, but I'm sure that if they knew how many other people suffered from it, they wouldn't feel as bad. So can you talk a little bit about how you approach educating your patients about it? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because, um, so what we utilize on a regular basis with, with new patient consults mm -hmm. is a, a fairly detailed questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And, and we get into all five of those things. And we ask specific questions about bladder issues, about sexual function, about bowel issues. Mm -hmm. And women are much more willing to, you know, check off something on a questionnaire initially. Mm -hmm. And I think that that gives them the comfort level to talk about this. Mm -hmm. But again, if, if we don't bring it up, they don't, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And that's where the problem is. But, um, and then you sit down and you explain to patients that these are quality of life issues because you really have patients living at both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I'll have a, a, a very type A patient who's, you know, 40 years old, um, very motivated professionally. And for the first time during an aerobics class, she leaked a, a drop of urine in her underwear mm -hmm. and she's freaking out. Like this is the beginning, you know, like this is an early cancer. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to calm her down and let her understand that, you know, this could have been a fluke. Don't make, don't, you know, and then you have on the other hand, you have women in denial that are going through 10 pads a day or dealing with a big bulge between their legs and they, well, it really doesn't bother me that much. I just deal with it. And so, so I think you have to sort of rein things in, make sure that they understand this is about their quality of life. Give them a little bit of a taste of what you can do for them and the invasiveness of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, ultimately it's got to be their decision, but hands down 90% of the time, at least, if not more, women come back and say, boy, I waited too long. I wish I would have done this earlier. The treatment modalities that we have when appropriately done and appropriately selected patients really work well. Got it. Now, I'm sure you get a lot of misconceptions or maybe in some situations, misinformation that your patients are getting about this. So what are some of those common misconceptions that you're seeing? You kind of talked a little bit about those in your last examples, but could you dive a little bit deeper into what are those common misconceptions that women have about their situation or even the treatment options that are available to them? Well, first of all, women have the misconception that this is, they think it's normal. 
It's, mm. it's like, you know, you have to wear pads for menstrual cycles mm -hmm. early on in your years. And as you get a little bit older, you switch and wear pads. So it's like a normal part of aging and there's really nothing that can be done about it. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, you know, we had a lot of women who had transvaginal mesh, um, which is a, a, a surgery that mesh was used to fix these prolapse issues. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of complications with that. So there's a bad taste in women's mouth, mm -hmm. mouths about concerns that any surgery has terrible outcomes and, and it's gonna cause a lot of complications. So mm -hmm. right away you have to, you know, be willing to sit down and address that with them mm -hmm. and make them understand what they're perceiving is, is actually not accurate and explain all that to them. Okay, got it. Now, as you're getting the treatment done, how do you balance providing that relaxing environment, that relaxing experience for them, but also at the same time ensuring their safety and ensuring their well-being? Well, I mean, you you know, you have to you have to do your best. There's certain things, you know, large prolapses, you know, they're they're going to require a more invasive surgery, and uh, you know, you kind of explain all that to them, and and certain things like. For example, coughing, straining leakage of urine is a very, very minimally invasive procedure that we do for that. And, and certain things are best treated with medicine. Certain things are best treated with other non-surgical options. So I think you, you, you kind of break everything down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately, and I tell patients this, we're not treating cancer. This is has to be your decision. Mm -hmm. And I, I say you should, you, I would make your decision based on the impact it has on your quality of life. And I mm -hmm. define a quality of life problem as a problem that is making you not being able to do what you would normally like to do. Meaning I used to exercise on a regular basis and I don't anymore because I, I leak urine or I used to play with my kids and jump on the trampoline and now I don't. Mm -hmm. I used to be very social and go out lots of events throughout the day, but I can't now because I can't make it to the toilet in time. My, my, I, I'm, I'm constantly toilet mapping when I go out. I have to know where the bathroom is because I'm constantly having to rush there. So things things like that. And they understand that that pretty well when, when you talk from a quality of life standpoint. Got it. Now, Dr. Graham, you've been in this industry, particularly this sub industry for, for some time now. So how would you say that you really differentiate your practice from others in the industry aside from just your knowledge and experience well i mean you know i uh, this is this is kind of um all i do if you will mm -hmm. so you know I, I i deal with these issues on a regular basis and um i you know i i i try and be as as candid and 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 open as i can be and mm -hmm. you know try and always make sure the patient understands appropriate risks and benefits to everything that we're doing and you know you 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 try and do the best you can got it now dr Kram, i'm curious about how you'd answer this next question because when people think about medicine or surgical or uh, surgery they feel that there's always like a protocol there's a step-by-step -step, step one step two step three process that goes into it but what would you say what role does creativity play in how you approach your patient care you have to be very especially in in more complicated cases that possibly recurrences or possibly complications that involve something called a fistula or a, you know, a lot of scar tissue. You have to be certainly comfortable from a surgical standpoint to, to be creative and as they say, light on your feet because mm -hmm. you could run into a lot of different scenarios 
in 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 these more complicated cases. So there is there is definitely the need to to be creative. And again, it's a fine line. You you're you need to be comfortable doing what you're doing and not sort of experimenting if you will. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I'm going to try this for the first time. That doesn't that doesn't work very well. Yeah. And that's where it's important that, you know, you get together with your colleagues and you share your experiences and keep up on the literature and because people are constantly reporting on things. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Now, I'm sure that you've you talked about some of the situations that people experienced. I'm sure you've had some particularly tough cases throughout your career. So is there maybe one story that really stands out to you that was a particularly challenging case uh, and how you were able to achieve a successful outcome in the end? I've, um, for whatever it's worth, I've kind of developed lots of experience in dealing with a problem called called a rectovaginal fistula. So this is where there's a hole between the bowel, the anus, lower part of the bowel and 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 the vagina. Mm. And it's very distressing because women leak stool out of this hole. It can occur spontaneously in women who have Crohn's disease, which is uh, inflammatory bowel disease. Mm -hmm. And it can also occur from lots of obstetric injuries when, when a baby comes through and, and there's a big tear into the rectum. That's very gratifying because I see a lot of patients that have had multiple repairs um, and we've developed, I, I shouldn't say developed, but I utilize, I think some techniques that, you know, uh, increasing the possibility that the surgery will be successful. So that's been very gratifying when you have a patient that has an extremely life altering problem mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. that you're able to, to fix. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the, the reason why a lot of medical professionals, uh, at least the ones I've interviewed, that's the reason why they love being in medicine. It's really the way that they're able to turn people's lives around and make it a life changing right. experience for them, especially when they've had such emotional distress or troubles out of this. And they may have gone to different people, tried to figure out different solutions and nothing ever worked for them. And then they come to someone like yourself and you're able to solve it and it completely turns their life around. Well, yeah, and 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 not always, but yes, when you're able to successfully, it is gratifying. Yeah, okay. Now, Dr. Karam, where do you think the future of your gynecology is going? Well, it's, I think every time there's some sort of epidemiologic study to look at the prevalence of these pelvic floor issues in urogynecologic, the numbers increase. Women, the female above the age of 60 is the largest segment of our population growth-wise. Mm -hmm. Women are living longer, demanding, rightfully so, a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. So right now there's, when I, when I trained, there were two training programs in the country. Now there's close to 65 training mm -hmm. programs. Wow. And we're still understaffed, if you will. There's mm -hmm. still not enough urogynecologists. And so lots of of this has to be treated by general urologists and general gynecologists. So the field will continue to expand. And I mean, it's the prevalence will continue to, to get more and more because unfortunately, there's really nothing on the horizon for prevention. Mm. There's not any 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 sort of uh, research that says, you know, if you do this when you're 30 or 35, you're not going to have these problems, not yeah. even there's nothing even close to that. Mm. 
Do you think that there are solutions that could be done to prevent it? Or do you think that it's just going to take? The real research right now is around stem cell mm. stuff where you inject potentially some sort of regenerative material that will make the muscle mass and, and the connective tissue potentially remain strong to say prevent prolapse or incontinence mm -hmm. but it's really in its infancy with that oh wow okay so for now kind of the next best thing is just for people to be aware that they are not yeah, the and, ones experiencing and, and, it and, and and you know seek out a, a specialist that can explain what's going on and hopefully give them some options got it Okay, well, Dr. Kram, thank you. I have one last question for you. But before I ask it, I want to point people to your website at www.mickeykaramd.com. Now, last question is, what would you say is the most important piece of advice you can give to someone who needs treatments like the ones that you're providing, but they aren't sure which provider to go to? So we, as a specialty, it, it accredited subspecialty. It's called female... It used to be called female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. Now they just changed it to urogynecology and reconstructive pelvic surgery. Mm -hmm. So if you go to someone that is actually accredited as, as, as you know, they, they're board certified in this mm -hmm. subspecialty, that at minimum gives you some sort of uh, gratification that this person is, is, is trained at a board approved program. So someone, someone that's that's board certified in urogynecology and reconstructive surgery would be where I would start. Got it. Well, there you have it. Dr. Cram sharing his expertise. Now, Dr. Thank Cram, you so much. Where can people contact you in your practice? So they can go probably best to go to the website mm -hmm. and the, you know, they'll see um, uh, the ability to contact me either in Newport Beach, Beverly Hills or in Cincinnati. Okay, great. Well, Thanks for being on the show and sharing your message. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Beauty Talk podcast. Any questions, please contact the practice directly with the contact information provided during the show. We'll see you again next time. Bye for now.